Nehemiah 6 says this, When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations. And Geshem says, It is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And I've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending Many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, And his son Jehonanan had married the daughter of Mishalem, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. This is the word of the Lord. Seems like the same old story, doesn't it? Seems like the same old story that we visited just a few weeks back. If you remember, a point that we had in our fourth week of this series was this. Our work in the Lord will always be opposed. Our work in the Lord will always be opposed. And once again, what? We find Sambalot and his gang are back at it, right? They're back at oppressing God's people. 
And within this passage, we're going to dive right in. Within this passage, we find three tactics that God's people are going to face. Three tactics that we, that we will face as the world around us, the world, I'll call it the world system around us, attempts to knock us off course from proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. You see, that is our work as followers of Christ. It's the proclamation of the gospel, which is found in loving God by loving others. The world is trying to take us off course from that. And there's three tactics that we find within this passage. The first one is this, distraction. It's distraction. Nehemiah 6, 2-3. God's word says this, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. I love this reply from Nehemiah. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? You see, the world system will use distraction, church, to steer us from the work that God has called us to be a part of. This is a tactic that we must pay careful attention to. Because we as followers of Christ are, we're easily distracted. I know if you're anything like me, like, I'm easily distracted by my iPhone 24-7, right? That thing's beeping, going off. I got my ESPN app updating. I got fantasy football to pay attention to. All these things, easily distracted. (laughs) We as followers are easily distracted. But Nehemiah shows us this, this godly response to distraction by basically saying this. He doesn't launch into this long dissertation. He says this. I'm working for the Lord. And I don't have time for your false accusations. And how can he confidently answer this? How can he confidently answer this? Because he's living a life above reproach. Because he's living a godly life. Okay, I want to pause here for a second. Does that mean that Nehemiah is perfect? No. Just back in chapter 5, right, last week we learned how God's own people were, were oppressing each other. And within that passage, Nehemiah says, I and my brothers were also doing the same thing. They were taking part in what was going on within the oppression. And he confesses that and he repents. It says he, he tore his cloak and he said, we will no longer do that. So Nehemiah confessed his sin. It, he's not saying I'm perfect, but he is living his life in such a way that he is what we would call above reproach. He knows this. They have nothing on him. They have nothing on him. Because he lives in such a way that he can confident reply, confidently reply with this. Why should I stop the work for you? You have nothing against me. You have nothing against me. What's another tactic that the world uses against us? Number two, deception. The world will use deception. Nehemiah 6, 5 to 7, it says this. I love this. Then the fifth time, right, they didn't get the hint, did they? It's like five times. The fifth time, then the fifth time, 
Sambalot sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it, is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. Is any of this true? As we've been here week in and week out, and we've read through Nehemiah's story through the first six chapters, at any point has Nehemiah appointed himself the king? No. Completely unfounded. It's, it's deception. They're lies. In fact, Nehemiah was what? When he was with the Persian king, he was one of his most trusted people. He was the king's cupbearer. He was a trusted servant of, of King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah understands the importance of his position within Persia because his position in Persia allowed him to carry out the work that God had called him to. You see, the world will lie to you and tell you things are a certain way about your people when in fact they are not. Even utilizing false accusations against you. Trying to deceive and distract you from the work of the kingdom. That's the work of the enemy. It's deception. Maybe you hear this whispered in your ear. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to do the work that God has called you to. You're too messed up. You're too depressed. Maybe your body isn't good enough because it's riddled with cancer and sickness and disease. Let me tell you this this morning. You're good enough because of the blood of Christ that has covered you to be lifted up and to be confident in the work that he has prepared in advance for you to walk into. Don't listen to the lies and deception of both the world, the world system, and Satan whispering you into your ear lies about your past. Don't be subdued by the guilt of past sin. Don't be subdued by the guilt of things you've done this week because the blood of Christ has covered that. So we have outright lies as a form of deception to distract Nehemiah from his kingdom work. We have another type of deception in verse 10. If you look, Nehemiah 6.10 says this, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. First off, there's something interesting in that passage, in that verse. It says that he was a what? A shut-in at his home. And yet he says, come with me to the temple. Isn't that interesting? Kind of reeks of deception. Why is this significant? Why does Nehemiah decline his, his invitation? You see, because this supposed prophet, I'll use my quotations, the supposed prophet is attempting to discredit and undermine Nehemiah's work. 
by inviting him into a, what I would call, a grievous mistake. Why can't Nehemiah go into the temple? Why can't he go into the temple? Because he's not a priest. He's not allowed to go in there. He encourages, this prophet encourages Nehemiah to go into a place that he should not. Only the priest could enter the temple, and Nehemiah is not a priest. So what is Nehemiah's response? He declares with confidence because of his knowledge, Here's, this is important, because of his knowledge of God's word, because he read scripture and he committed it to his heart, he knew, uh, I can't go in there. He says, no thank you, you're trying to deceive and discredit me. What is this prophet attempting to do? He's attempting, let me make this very clear, he's attempting to lure Nehemiah into a sinful decision. He's deceiving him. He's attempting to to lure him into sin. And this is the key here. A sin so devastating that it will undermine all the work of this servant of God. Undermine all of his work. That's how deception works. The enemy coming in and working against you, deceiving you, and undermining the work that God has prepared in advance for you to walk into. And finally, the third thing, the world will use this. The world will use intimidation. The world system will use intimidation to steer you away from the work that God has called you into. Nehemiah six seventeen to 19. You see, distraction didn't work. Deception didn't work. So here's the last thing. Now, intimidation, 6, 17 to 19. It says, also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah kept coming to them, for many in Judah were under oath to him, to Tobiah. Since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, and his son Johananin had married the daughter of... Man, this sounds like a Kentucky relationships here, right? <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> I was just kidding. I love you guys. We got that stuff going on out in California too. They just keep it hidden better. Had married the... I'm going to get an email on this one this week. I'm sorry, guys. Forgive me. Yep. <laughs> okay, and his son, jo- Johannahan, jo- see, now I'm messing up the names. Johannahan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him, Tobiah, what I said. And Tobiah sent letters, what? It says very clearly, to intimidate me. To intimidate me. When none of the tactics above led to the, to the desired results of the enemies of God's people, their, their enemies resort to outright intimidation. So in this, in this culture, in this society, one of these guys that's, that's trying to distract God's people from God's work is really connected and tied in. He's a powerful guy. He's connected and and tied in actually to the Jewish society, the Jewish people. And he's going to use that 
leverage to intimidate Nehemiah. See, Tobiah is basically like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm connected to everyone around you. I have more power and friends than you. Stop doing what you're doing. And yet, Nehemiah does what? He keeps on. He keeps on working. But how does he keep on? We're going to focus on two responses from Nehemiah this morning. How does he keep on? In the midst of distraction, deception, intimidation, everything seems like it's against him. How does he keep on? Number one, he's focused. He has focus. He has focus on the work that God has called him to. It is so important in his life that the distraction and the deception and the intimidation, it doesn't matter. Because I have a job to do for God and for God's people and for God's kingdom. He says this, such a powerful, powerful passage right here. When I was studying for this early on back in August, I read through uh, this whole book, and this one passage right here stuck out to me. It says this. It says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking, Their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But Nehemiah does this. It says, But I prayed. Let's stop right there for a second. I prayed. So we learn early on in this that Nehemiah knew what? God's Word. He knows God's Word. And then also, in the midst of all of this, it says, I prayed. What did he pray? Did he pray, take away the distraction, take away the deception, take away the intimidation? No, he prays this. Now strengthen my hands. He doesn't pray for God to take it all away. He says, God, give me the strength that I can withstand the enemy. That I can stand in boldness and I can look in the eyes of those trying to distract me and those trying to intimidate me and those trying to deceive me. And I can say, I have the work of the Lord before me. I can look in the eyes of the cancer that's trying to destroy me and I can look at God and I can say, now strengthen my hands. Because I have work to do. Paul says this, you can kill me, but you can't rip Jesus from me. I can look in the eyes of depression and I can lift them up and I can say, my God is greater. He has defeated my sadness and my sorrow. And I have a great Savior in heaven that has come, that has lived where I lived, that has walked where I have walked, that has walked my path. And in the midst of my brokenness and my depression and my sadness, I can look to Him and I can say, lift me up, God. Now strengthen my hands. You see, Nehemiah has laser-like focus. He's driven by the work of God. And I would say this, he's driven by his standing in God. Nothing will take that from him. Not deception, not distraction, surely not intimidation. Let me add these things. Not cancer, not depression, not a failed marriage, not adultery, not sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nehemiah prays to God 
And not a prayer to remove the affliction, but to give him this, the strength to withstand it. Give me strength. You see, Jesus faced the same obstacles in his ministry. And subsequently, his followers, the apostles, and now us, we also face the same opposition to the work. And yet Jesus didn't give in. And thank God his apostles didn't give in. Because each and every one of them died for the cause of Christ with the exception of John, who was boiled in oil and survived, so he probably wished he was dead. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, that we are the legacy of Christ. We are the legacy of the apostles who shared the gospel And because they didn't give in, we will not give in either. Jesus didn't give in to the distraction of the religious and self-righteous Pharisees telling him that he was wrong for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't give in to the deception of Satan as he was tempted in the wilderness to bow at the feet of the enemy for a piece of bread. And Jesus didn't give in to the intimidation of those who wanted to crucify him because he willingly went to the cross to die for our sin. Because he was focused on the work and the task at hand. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating drops of blood and he asked, Father, take this cup from me, but your will be done. We see the same prayer from Nehemiah. Lord, strengthen my hands. It's not going to be easy, church. The tactics of the world are are not easy. And you're going to be down and out. But the beauty of, look around. you got a church family here to lift you up and support you and pray for you and hug you and encourage you and rebuke you. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6.10. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm mad at you guys because I'm yelling so much this morning. Okay, good. I love you guys. Paul says this. Ephesians 6.10-20. to 20, He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore what? Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and what the sword of the Spirit, which is, this is the beauty of, of God's sovereignty that Bethany came up and talked about the sword, the word of God. 
It's almost like he had that planned. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. He says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul gives us this awesome picture of how we can stand firm and be focused on the work that God has called each of us to. We put on the armor of God And the beauty of it is that you see three things within that passage. You see the word of God proclaimed. You see Paul exhorting his people to pray for each other. And then you see the community, the fellowship of Christians coming together for one cause. That we can fearlessly proclaim the gospel. Because we can stand firm in who? Our own righteousness? Our own works? No. The work of Christ. Number two. Here's another response that we have. We have assurance. We have assurance. Nehemiah 6.15 to 16. Says this. See, the enemies are in the face of God. They're distracting, they're deceiving, they're intimidating, and yet Nehemiah 16, 15 to, or 6, 15 to 16 says this, so the wall was what? Completed. The wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. They built this wall in 52 days. Isn't that amazing? A whole wall around a city in 52 days, built out of rubble. There was no experts building the wall. Like Nehemiah back home with the king, he was an expert in wine. That's what his expertise was. And he comes and leads people to rebuild this wall. And it doesn't really say anything about masonries in the rebuilding of the wall. It talks about the priest coming and helping. It talks about common people coming and helping. It talks about people leaving their fields coming and helping. It talks about jewelers coming and helping. All rebuild the wall. So all of these non-experts coming together and rebuilding this wall out of a heap of rubble, all in the midst of being constantly under threat from their enemies. And notice, who does God's enemies, who do they recognize when, when the wall is finished? Who do they recognize? We'll continue on. It says, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done not by a bunch of ragtag group of Israelites, but by who? With the help of what? Our God. The work had been done with the help of their God, of our God. We have assurance, let me be very clear, we have assurance of this, that the work will be completed. We can have full confidence in this. 
That the world may look at your work and say that it's stupid. That it's a waste of your life. You see, Nehemiah was a broken and messy sinner leading a broken and messy group of people to rebuild a wall out of a heap of rubble. What a prestigious thing to do, right? What does that kind of work look like to the world? A waste of time. That's what they're going to tell you. Your life's a waste of time if you're following Christ. And I can tell you this, there's nothing more important than being a follower of Christ and proclaiming his truth to a lost creation. There's nothing more important than seeing lives that are wrecked by the world, that are wrecked by sin, being reconciled by the finished work of Jesus Christ, being brought in to a family, being given the family name. People being given access to the God who created everything with his spoken word. There's nothing more important in this work, but the world's going to tell you, that's stupid, that's a waste of time. You see, this is, this is personal to me. Obviously, I've given my whole life. It's personal to me, and I don't... I'm not saying this in an arrogant way as to look at me, but I can tell you this. My life is a testimony of leaving. I've left everything. I've left my family. I've left a ministry that I could walk into day in and day out, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. Everything was in control. I've had to sit and hold my children as they've cried because they want to go home. And the world would look at that and say, you're stupid. And I can look at them and I can say, there's no greater job. There's no greater job than to walk alongside the people, the body of Christ, to proclaim the gospel, to pray with people, To see God's church be built. To see his fame go out in this community. In a sense, we have a heap of rubble that we're coming to and we're rebuilding together. North Bullet Christian Church, and I wouldn't have it any other way. God's at work in this place. How do we accomplish this work? It's not by our own power, but through the power of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Love this passage. It says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because Jesus left his throne in heaven and he came down and he walked right where you have walked. He's felt hunger. He's felt pain. He's felt betrayal. He's felt hurt. He's felt everything that you have. You don't have a distant God. You have a near God. says, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet what? He did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why can we have confidence? Because the work is all His We don't have to second guess it. That's all we have to do is place our faith and our trust in the gospel. The gospel is this, that Christ came and he put on flesh. That he lived the perfect life. He didn't do away with the law, but he fulfilled the law. He went to the cross as a curse for us. And his blood was spilt and his blood covers our sin through faith. And the beauty of it all is that he gives us eternal life. Why? Because he is alive. He rose on the third day. He was resurrected. We have this incredible confidence because we have this great high priest. And it's not a human. It's God himself. It goes between us. He's there interceding on our behalf through not our righteousness, but his righteousness. And so we don't have to second guess. Am I good enough today, God? Of course you are because you have Christ covering you. And he isn't distant. He can empathize with everything you have gone through. Hear this. No other world religion teaches this. Every other belief in the world says you have to be good enough to be right with God. But Jesus says, I will come to you right where you are. I will do the work for you. I will lift you up out of the muck and mire. I will give you a heart that beats for me in the midst of your sin and brokenness. I will love you, and I will put my Holy Spirit within you as a seal of my love and salvation on your life. And you can be assured that he will never leave you. He has given you new life, and he has sealed you by his Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within you, follower of Christ. Be encouraged. Be focused. Be confident that he will bring his work to full completion. That's both the work in you, he is faithful to complete it, and the work that we have as the body of Christ. That all of creation would know who Jesus is. In the mid-1800s, Charity Lee Smith penned these words. She said this, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. Says, My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence 
depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. It's the beautiful hymn before the throne of God. Be assured this morning. And out of that assurance flows a heart of gratefulness. Let perseverance flow from a heart of assurance and confidence in the work of Christ within your life. Stop questioning the hurt, the pain, the accusations of the world, the distractions. And hear this, be fully confident that God's plan is secured through faith in the gospel. That has given your life a rich purpose. Because it cannot fail. Nehemiah didn't fail. And it wasn't necessarily because it was all of him. Even the enemies affirmed that God was by their side. Church, God is by your side. You're not alone. You have the advocate living within you, the spirit pointing you to Christ. And I want you to be encouraged today to rest in that confidence. And I want to encourage you as as we wind down, as we respond. We have a means of grace here as, as a church family. Each and every week we receive the Lord's Supper, we receive communion. It's a time of reflection that We've heard the gospel proclaimed. We've heard what Christ has done for us. And now we can come to the table and we can respond to his grace and his mercy. We can remember. We can remember as we receive the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. And we can remember as we receive the juice that his blood covers us. It covers our sin. And we can remember his faithfulness. His faithfulness to us, even when we're unfaithful to him. Even when we fall away, that he keeps coming back to you and putting his hand out. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're, if you're broken and you're hurting and you're tired and you're weary, there'll be elders in the front of the room. We would love to come alongside you and embrace you and pray for you today. If you have questions, we would love to sit and talk with you. We'll also, during the last song, we'll receive an offering to give back in a way that God has graciously given to us. And then in the midst of all of that, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing remembering God's faithfulness to us, His goodness to us, and the promise that He will Fulfill his work. He is faithful to complete it. Let's pray. God, we do love.